to the Water in Real Life podcast with the H2 Duo. The H2 Duo believe that if you desire to build the right relationships with your customers and thereby overcome many of the challenges you face, then your ability to connect with them through storytelling is essential. The Water in Real Life podcast will inspire, instruct, and insight action that will help you better connect with your customers. Hear inspiring stories and learn about valuable resources that you can start using today. Let's get real. Hey everyone, welcome to the podcast dedicated to bridging the gap between water providers and water users. We'll be diving into the components of storytelling, communication, outreach, and education, as well as chatting about professional and personal development. In today's episode, we are chatting with Greg Bukash, External Affairs Manager for the San Antonio Water System. Greg gives us a catalyst teaser and defines the whirlwind. We also discuss the value of breaking down silos and the power of mentorship. So without further ado, let's get to the show. You're listening to episode three with Greg Wukash, External Affairs Manager for the San Antonio Water System. We are super excited to be here with Greg Wukash. Since 1998, Greg has worked in the External Affairs Department at SAWS, beginning as an education coordinator and now as the External Affairs Manager. Greg really considers himself more of a storyteller, putting together water stories for citizens across the city he loves. When not talking H2O, this self-professed water nerd also enjoys talking strategic planning and corporate culture. In addition to working with SAWS, Greg has also worked as an environmental educator with Aquarina Center in San Marcos, Texas, as a corporate training development coordinator for the Six Flags Company, and as an adjunct professor at St. Philip's College in San Antonio for 14 years. Greg is also married with three children and two great-grandchildren. So thank you so much for being with us, Greg. Well, thank you for having me here today. I'm, I'm really uh, excited to be able to talk to y'all. So are there any holes in that bio you want to fill in? That was a pretty uh, cut and dry bio there. <laughs> no, no, I, I um, through the years I've had to uh, kind of do the bio for different events and, and different conferences and things of that nature. And I've kind of refined it down to those things that that are pretty important um, uh, for me and, and jobs and kids and those things that have uh, kind of defined um, sort of who I am and uh, my experience within this industry. Well, Arianne and I are incredibly excited to be here with Greg because Greg has definitely been um, a mentor for us. And um, I know at some point I'm going to tell the kind of the background from my perspective of how of how we met. But um, I've actually never asked him what it was like uh, <laughs> from his perspective of, of meeting us. Uh, I actually met him first uh at a strategic planning meeting for TAWWA and then introduced him to Ariane later. So I, I want you to kind of fill us in on what that experience was like on your end. <laughs> yeah, well, honestly, we um, I'd been doing the strategic planning meeting for TAWWA for a little while, and uh, we were beginning to make some um Head headway with a uh, with our education division and kind of creating it and and the cool things that we were going to do for the state of Texas, um, but I, I probably had never found anybody really in the state of Texas that sort of you know I felt like just kind of got it um, the way I, th I think we we kind of got it um, here at our education department who who we could talk kind of the same language we had some of the same concerns we had some of the same passions and um, I, when Stephanie when you and I met, um, you know, again, I was just there to facilitate. I think we started having a discussion and, and opening up that discussion. And I was like, oh, my goodness, we're, we're kindred spirits. Um, we've we've got some of the same beliefs and we've got some of the same um, potholes that we we deal with at work all the time. And so it was really great to kind of for maybe the first time in a long time or if ever um, to not feel alone, um, which is a really big deal, I think, for, for those of us who are doing this kind of work is that we um, we sometimes don't know where our tribe is. We don't know where our people are. And it's always great when you're able to make a connection with somebody that just gets it. And so I think if I remember right, because I, I think I remember from the very beginning on this. 
this. We just got along like from the very beginning. It just felt kind of like home. Um, we felt like instantaneous friends. It, it uh, and that's always great when you don't have to work for that. It just happened. Yeah, that was that was definitely the feeling. I um, I kind of begrudgingly accepted the offer to go to the strategic planning uh, <laughs> um, process. I wanted to help out, but I just I mean, it's a strategic planning process, but that my mind was blown by that through your facilitation. And like now I'm a hardcore strategic planning nerd. I believe in it 100 percent because I had never seen it or thought about it that way uh, before. But um I guess it was maybe a year later or so when I, when me and Ariane started working together and at Texas Water in Fort Worth, you had the opportunity to meet, to meet her. So maybe you gave me this insight book and I literally put it on a, um, on a bookshelf and never opened it again. Cause I was (laughs) like, meh, one day I'll get to that. Yeah. And then when I got there, I was like, no, we, you have to read this. You have to meet Greg. And so you want to talk about what it was like meeting Greg, Gary? Yeah, I do. <laughs> so Texas water is in April. I just had a set of twins, um, mid March. And so this was maybe six weeks later. I, you know, get the clearing from the doctor to like go be out in public um, so I, I go to, you this know, you're thing. a water nerd when your first night out on the town as a new mom yeah. is the Texas water yeah. conference. <laughs> totally was. <laughs> and I'm like pumped. I'm like interacting with adults. I'm like, okay, I'm, I'm back in my element. Um, we're at the conference later on. I'm like, I think I was like, Hey, Greg, um, want to go hang out? And he was like, yeah, sure. And so then you go to these after conference things and they offer you drinks <laughs> and I take one or two and then I dropped an F bomb <laughs> or two. And then I realized, oh, F in my head, he's a pastor. <laughs> huh. Well, that didn't go well. So I thought for sure, like he would hate me forever. Like that was it. Greg, your thoughts? <laughs> <laughs> no, no, I didn't. I actually didn't think anything about it. Um, it was it was an opportunity for us to get together in a really cool space uh, at a really cool time and and really um, just forge a new relationship. And uh, of course, you know, here we are recording this today. We've been hanging out together for the last two days. Um, we've we've established a really great friendship. And uh, and I and I think uh, you know a lot of times that's how it works. Friendships are established um, kind of at a at a time. Of, of being real and sort of raw with one another. And those are my favorite kind of, of partnerships and friendships is when we establish it from that point forward. It's not done that's forced, you know, when you, you feel kind of awkward sitting at a table. It never has felt that way with, with you two. Um, it's always just been so natural, um, you know, to the point of when, when, when I'm coming up to um, your neck of the woods or you're coming down to San Antonio, it, it's always something that, you know, we're excited about seeing one another. And again, that that's kind of rare, I think, in this industry because it's work, 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 work. Um, this goes beyond that. And uh, it's just such a, a powerful thing. I can't. I'm sorry. I can't have someone say work, 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 work <laughs> without going work, 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 work for me. Yeah. Shout out, Rihanna. Um, well, I'm glad to hear that uh, you felt the same way in terms of uh, feeling like you had met a fellow tribe member because I definitely felt that way when we met as well. And I wasn't able to work with you right after we met, but it was incredibly exciting to be able to bring you uh, into Mansfield where we were at the time and be able to have you come and work through us through Insight. Uh, so Insight is uh, it's basically a strategic plan process that was created by water educators, a.k.a. Uh, Greg and Lynn Christopher, another member of the education team here at SAWS. And um, he came he came up to Mansfield for two days, I believe, and just made us dig down deep and uh, we strategic took planning camp. Yeah, it was strategic planning camp. And we essentially paused everything that we were doing to take the time to be like, why are we doing this? So um, first of all, I love that you brought up speaking the same language because I'm, I'm or kind of saying these things that other people may be like, huh, what are you talking about? Because that's a question that I want to talk to you, too. But first of all, because we are mentees of Greg, you have to start with why. And so, Greg. 
why do you do what you do? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I think um, the question of why for me, and we we have a kind of a saying around here at SAW is that it's the lowest common denominator. We we have to boil it down to the very uh, lowest level, which is the why are we doing what we're doing? We never make a decision without asking that question. And so um, even personally, it's important in this industry on those really bad days when you're wondering, you know, what in the heck am I doing and why am I doing this work? Um, I, I honestly, honestly believe that the San Antonio water system in San Antonio is the most important company in the city. I believe that. Uh, we provide the most important service, the most important product without water, without wastewater uh, treatment. Uh, the city doesn't um, forget about business. The city just doesn't even exist. And so we provide a absolutely necessary service to to 2 million people in the greater San Antonio area. And um, I get to get up every single day knowing that I get to be a part of serving my neighbors that way. It is not just work that I do. It's a mission that I'm a part of. And so now I get to lead a team of 10 people that we get to be on that mission every day. And so I remind them um, every day about their why. Why are we doing this? Um, And we've, we've boiled it down to this statement that I actually learned from Seth Godin, which is it's work that matters. The work that we do matters to this community. And uh, I try to encourage my team every day to get up and engage in work that matters. So that's really why I do it um, because I love the city. I love the people here. My family's here. I, um, and so I'm serving my neighbors. I'm a part of, of something that's incredibly important in our community. So in the, um, the rock star band of water, uh, in the rock, in the band of water rock stars there, um, I mean, everyone in our industry knows George Hawkins. He's kind of the, the front man, the lead singer, but we definitely believe that like, that Greg is on, Greg is in that same band. I'm not sure if he's the drummer, the bass player, or or which instrument he's playing yet. Maybe the the triangle. Um, <laughs> but we begrudgingly we begrudgingly drag him into uh, the spotlight as often as we can. And I am like beyond words, just so pumped that he is going to be side by side George Hawkins during our strategy portion of Catalyst. Like I, I don't know how my head is not going to explode when, when that happens for me in real life. But, um, yeah, if you don't, if you don't know a lot about Saw's story, if you're not from Texas, it's an incredible story to learn. They are sort of the, um, epitome of, of water utilities in the state of Texas, we all kind of look to them for, um, they're always doing the newest, coolest stuff and innovative. And, you know, they're the, they're the big brother or the yeah. big sister that paving we're, yeah, paving the way that we're, we're always trying to aspire to in many ways. Um, but, uh, we try to do things that are saws worthy. Yeah, you know? <laughs> it's really hard when you're like trying to live up to saws duty. On like a, on a for us, it was a Mansfield Small budget. budget. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So we had to you know really work with Greg to keep things in perspective and know that we were doing our work that matters and it didn't have to be equivalent to uh, Greg's work that matters. But um, so going back to the idea of speaking the same language when. Greg is actually the godfather of Catalyst. Um, this was really kind of a, the brainchild of, of just conversations around a roundtable that the three of us had. And uh, Greg was like, well, no one's really doing this. Would you guys be down to do this with me? And, and we were like, you know, he didn't even have to get out yeah. any of that sentence. He said, would you? And, yeah, he did. and yes. we said, yes, um, which is basically what happens anytime Greg asks us to do something. But we started hashing out what the initial uh, look or agenda for Catalyst might be. And Ariane and I started panicking because we were seeing all of these words that we 100% knew and understood because they were Greg through and through. But we were like, there's other people that don't know this who are going to look at this and be like, what the hell does whispering mean? Like, what do these words mean? And so... So I don't want fully retire. I don't know about that. <laughs> so I don't want Greg to give away anything that he's going to be saying at Catalyst. But I kind of want to like um, for those of you out there who have the ability to take notes, if you're driving, please don't. But uh, th- I'm going to start a Greg glossary. And so I want Greg uh, just to kind of he's going to be talking about the whirlwind and respectfully retiring. So really briefly, if you could talk about uh, what those two ideas mean. 
Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, I go every summer. I go to a leadership um, conference. That's uh, two days, and it's an opportunity for me to to really be filled up. And I come out of that with just a, a whole new wealth of resources and knowledge and those kinds of things. And so, a couple of years ago at our leadership summit, in fact, actually, I think it was last summer, um, I picked up a book. I heard a heard a, an author there, and I picked up his book um, called "The Four Disciplines of Execution." And it was funny because they weren't like flying off the shelf. I mean, it wasn't like after the speaker spoke, everybody ran to the bookstore to grab his book. Um, you know, it, it sounds kind of dry, right? I mean, the four disciplines of execution, but in leading a team, you have to understand like how to put together, um, you know, discipline. In fact, my, and I'm not talking about discipline, like in, you know, like somebody did something wrong and you got to take care of them. I'm talking about like, (laughs) yeah, yeah, exactly. No executions here. But, but how how do you, how do you have a constant discipline with your team um, so that you can all engage in work that matters uh, and you don't get burned out or you don't lose your way, right? I mean, you, you get off track and lose your way, which is something I'm going to be talking about at at, at Catalyst a little bit. Um, One of my favorite quotes is actually through Aristotle and it's through discipline comes freedom. Let me say that again. It's through discipline nice. comes freedom. There's actually freedom in discipline. So when when I saw this book and, and I began to read it and it started unpacking things like the whirlwind as a, as a name, which is something that we deal with every day, right? All of us. The whirlwind is just the, the, the work that we do every day that kind of takes us away from the strategic nature of the things that we want to get accomplished. We all have these strategic things that we want to get accomplished, but the whirlwind comes along like email or like, Hey, I need you to pop in here for this meeting real fast. Or, um, you know, even an an employee who may have an issue and needs to talk to you or whatever, those things, as they add up throughout the day, those whirlwinds, they get you off track from the strategic vision and, 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 and mission that you're on. And then before long, you can be caught up in the whirlwind. And so one of the things I'm going to be talking about is how do you keep yourself from getting caught up in the whirlwind and keep your eyes focused on that strategic um, vision, keeping in mind that the whirlwind will always be there. It will never go away. But how do you actually um, go through that discipline process um, in order to uh, be a leader in this field? So that'll be one of the things I'll talk about. And there'll be some terminology in there that, again, I didn't make up. None of this I made up. This is just <laughs> stuff through the years that I've, I've learned and then I've kind of consolidated all together and to a, uh, a leadership philosophy that uh, that I like to, to use. What about respectfully retire? Oh, yeah. And respectfully retire actually came from um, an, an, a manager that I had years ago. She, she came in here uh, to this company. And one of the first things that she said was, we need to start looking at our programs to respectfully retire. And it was, it was crazy because we had never heard that term before. And uh, what happened was we thought she was talking about us. Like, like <laughs> she was going to respectfully retire us. And before long, we started having this conversation. She said, no, no, that's not what it's all about. We just need to look at our programs to find out if they've run their course. And she never really defined what respectfully retire meant. She just simply said, it's, it's, you know, to, to retire programs that are no longer needed. Well, we took that concept and ran with it and began to define really what it means. And I'm going to be kind of digging into that because you don't just get rid of a program that somebody has been working on for 20 years. Um, you, you want to do it respectfully. So I have my own like experience with that because when we went through insight, I was so excited because in Mansfield, um, I felt like I was doing 50 different programs, which I think we counted out. And there was, you know, a a solid 40 to 50 programs or different, you know, initiatives that were going on where I was involved in. And I was like, oh, my God, I'm going to respectfully retire like all of them, (laughs) like or at least a solid chunk that I can like wrap my brain around this and or the ones that I hated the most. And I thought, okay, here's my, here's my out. Like I'm ready to go. And at the end of the strategic planning session, unfortunately I didn't get to retire any of them because (laughs) we went through the process that that was created and there wasn't a need for retirement as much as a need just for updating or kind of becoming more efficient and different things like that. So while I was looking for an out, I actually found out that no, you don't have to, like, I, that wasn't, I didn't get to get rid of anything, like, <laughs> yeah. unfortunately, but fortunately, they ended up being better programs, so. 
What, um, just one last one that really always sticks with me in terms of uh, words is, was whispering yours or did you hear whispering from somewhere else too? Yeah, no, again, I'm not taking credit for any, anything. <laughs> the, the only thing I'm going to take credit for is, is a, is a consolation of all of those things. Um, I, I have all these concepts and I'm able to kind of put them together into, I think, kind of a narrative that makes sense for people who are actually um, in the field. But whispering, I, I think I heard that really from Seth Godin. He, he mm-hmm. talks a lot about uh, that and and so um, Can you explain it a little bit? yeah I, I mean again I think what his definition of, of that was and then how we redefined it sort of for our industry and what we do here is, is a little bit different and um, so we use the power of whisper to to kind of do a silent influence over our customers and I think in our industry we think it all has to be you know flashy and and uh, we have to do these big events and we have to do these big flashy advertisements or you know whatever it, it may be there's some real power when you are simply influencing because that's really what it is the power of the whisper is an influencing thing where you're around people and you begin to whisper into their lives things about water while you're at a, a bar, <laughs> right? Having yeah. drinks while you're um, at a restaurant with your friends or your neighbors sitting in the backyard. You begin to just whisper these things that you have this silent influence and then you begin to see them nodding their heads going, wow, I never thought about that before. And and as, as you're doing that and they begin nodding their heads, they then become your ambassadors. And as I've said this before, and I'll say it again, when your customers are actually, um, when your customers are uh, touting you and telling everybody about how great you are, you've won the day. The goal is to make ambassadors out of your customers. When they're telling your story, you've won the day. And that begins, I think, by whispering into their lives. Um, and then they think it's actually their idea. Like they came up with some novel idea. It doesn't matter who gets the credit. The idea is, is the mission and the ultimate, the ultimate accomplishment and goal. Yeah, uh, one of the things with Insight was that it gave us and our strategic plan was that it gives you this like laser focus of your mission, your values, your learning strands, like, you know, your story. I mean, it's you don't need an open book test anymore when people ask you about your programs or your mission or any of that, like, you know it and you live it. And so and you we didn't really know this, but uh, this is kind of an example of how we experienced uh, the power of whispering is that we didn't really know that or recognize that. But having that laser focus meant that we were saying these same ideas and mission and values and learning strands like all the time. And we didn't realize that until we started saying them and including them into like actual publications and things like that. Yeah, we didn't realize that it was <laughs> that it was working until we would hear our boss speak to the guys or at a, a meeting or something and he would start using these same words and we would just kind of look at each other and be like, holy cow, it, you know, it works. So um, that was, we definitely learned the the power of that. And, um, you know, it was all for good. It was all leading them in a positive direction. So I don't know if you have anything else to add to that. That was it. Okay. (laughs) I agree. (laughs) Um, So I know that we could talk for, you know, hours just about anything in general, but specifically about leadership. Um, And in terms of like leadership related to the training or the... Um, the programs that get offered to leadership in water, like what's one area that um, what's one area that you think we're good at? And what's one area where you feel like we could look outside of the industry and see what others are doing to bring that in to to improve our leadership programs? Yeah. Wow. That's a great question. Um you know, I, I I would probably have answered this question a little different maybe f- three months ago than I than I'm answering now. Um, I'm some of y'all have read the book Good to Great, and uh, believe it or not, I'd never read the book, so I'm reading it right now. And and some of the things that I have kind of held on to for years. Um, he's sort of demolishing in this books and I'm not finished with it yet. So I'm still wrestling with, with that question, but, but here's, but here's one of the things I would say. Um, I think, I think across the board, what I find in sort of water utility work and maybe even utility work in general is that we're siloed. Um, we come to work, uh, we may be an engineer and we're there to do the engineering work or, you know, we're in wastewater collection and we go and we do the wastewater collection work or, or whatever. We're, we're very siloed and we, we focus on 
the job that we have been given, and we don't have a bigger picture toward the utility as a whole, re- reminding ourselves that we're actually here to serve the customer at the end of the day. There's some in our in our industry, in our company here, that believe they're wastewater um, folks. They, they believe they're drinking water folks. They believe they're you know security folks. They're not. They're, they're all, we're all customer service folks. Um, we do not exist without the public who needs this resource. And that's what we're here to do. And I think if we could get our focus back on the idea that we're here to serve the customer, that we're not actually here to do wastewater and drinking water and security and, you know, IT and all those things that we sort of like have as our identity, even educators and communicators. Like we, I'm going to throw us into the same mix. Like, oh, I'm an educator and a communicator. No, we, we are actually a customer service agent for our city to supply water and wastewater services for our customers. We're customer service agents. And so I think if we could get away from that siloing effect, we begin to see the greater mission, the greater purpose. Um, then I think we would begin to see departments work better together. Communication happen uh, more effectively. It takes a strong leader, I think, from the top to bring that culture. But um, if that's not occurring in your utility and you're, you're listening to me right now, kind of shaking your head going, yeah, Greg, that sounds great. I, I wish that could happen. I'm also one to believe in the power of whisper, which is, well, it takes somebody to decide that we're going to make some changes. And anybody that's listening to this can make those changes. We are testament to that right now sitting here. We've decided that we wanted to do certain initiatives. We didn't wait for people. We just went and did it. And so my encouragement to anybody would be, listen, if you see something that you think needs to be started, don't wait for somebody else to start it. Go out and do it yourself. Preach. Preach. And I think that even includes like your own personal development Mm -hmm. because um, we, you know, we took it on our own selves, you know, we're over two years too. So we got awesome leadership management training um, throughout, but um, we took it on our own selves to kind of go further and read the books and apply them to our lives. Um, But when we were at ACE in 2017, um, in one of the presentations, they said that, you know, many leadership or many people don't take any kind of leadership or management training classes until they're 10, 15 years into their career. How do we get that change? How do we, you know, that's, that's got to change. You can't be 35, 40 years old and being given a management position, but never, never taught how to manage or how to lead people. Yeah. Um, so I have a, I have one of my mentors that used to say it this way, um, self-leading, self-feeding. That was, that was what he told me all the time. It was self-leading, self-feeding. Um, we can't wait for somebody to be in charge of our leadership development. We must be in charge of it ourselves. And that's why it's important to read books. That's why it's important to go to seminars and and workshops to sign up for them. Um, I, I don't get company. The company does not pay my way to the leadership summit every, every summer. Um, like I said, this will be my 10th or 11th year of attending. Um, It's not cheap, but it's an investment in my own leadership. And ultimately it's an investment in my team. Um, because as, as I'm a better leader, my team gets the benefit of that. My family gets the benefit of that. And then ultimately the company and the city gets the benefit of that. So we can't wait for other people, um, to pour leadership into us. If you look at it and say, listen, I'm, I'm lacking leadership. Um, I would just look at you and say, well, it's your responsibility to, to go and find that, the, the leadership that you need. And so, yeah, I, I live by that, that mantra, um, self-leading, self-feeding. Um, and I think it, it definitely changes things. Golly, you guys, I'm so glad this is like episode three. This is so amazing. <laughs> um, I'm glad that you brought up mentors. Um, Arianne and I are obviously both passionate about that. Our friend Megan Schneider, who is also a speaker at Catalyst, uh, speaks a lot about her mentors. Um, you talk a lot about your mentors. Um we call you a mentor and I, and it was kind of cool yesterday when you said, um, well, like I don't call myself a mentor. Like you, you know, you talked about earning it. Like, you know, I'm a mentor. If you guys believe that I'm your mentor and see me in that role in your lives, which is ties right in, like talking about like practice what you preach. Um, cause that's the exact same, um, phrasing ideology, whatever that you use in terms of success with our programs that, 
we can't go out there saying, oh, we're the best uh, water education department or we're the best just water department, period. You have to wait until your customers are saying that about you. And that's um, that's how you define when your greatness is. Um, but that kind of that's not the segue I wanted to go into. I actually kind of wanted you to talk about um, the power of mentorship to you and um like how what's like one word or one piece of advice you could give to people to to finding and, and getting a mentor or is it all kind of this organic thing that happened like with our mentor relationship? <laughs> yeah, um, well, so um, I usually try to talk to my about my mentor in a in a um, it, it's hard. Sometimes he passed away a couple of years ago. And, um, we were really, really close and spent a whole lot of time together. Um, the thing I learned from him was that he was really intentional about spending time with me. Um, he, I'd get busy, but he would call me and say, Hey, we need to set up a, a lunch this week. And then he would, uh, we would get together, you know, two, sometimes three times a month and he would, um, sit down and he was so patient just to listen to all of my frustrations. And then he had this way of just kind of coming back and, and reframing things. And he wasn't afraid to call me out. He, he wasn't afraid to, um, to, you know, kind of put me back in my place a little bit. I think that with mentorship, there is a time when you're sort of new to the field. Uh, you're kind of young that you are looking for a mentor. You're looking for somebody to really pour into you during that time. And that's a really critical time to have that. I would, I would again say to anybody out there who's new, um, early, just graduated, maybe has just moved into the field and you're, and you're thinking that you can do this on your own. You can't, um, get somebody who will pour into you, who will come alongside you, um, and who will be there for you on those really difficult times. And, and just help you help guide you along the way. But I'm going to talk about something I think is even more powerful. There comes a point when you become a mentor and you have to realize that you've become this, this person that has that, that somebody has invested in. You have all of this knowledge and it is absolutely unfair for you to hoard that for yourself and hold it. What has to happen at that moment um, is you have to become a mentor for somebody else. And that simply is by being willing uh, for people to say, hey, I'm available to you if you ever want to talk. And then when they begin to come to you and start talking to you about things, you just have to listen, be, be willing to say some things that may not always be right, but, but maybe some tough things um, and, and, and understand that you know, it's your turn. Right. And so I'm not this elderly dude, uh, but I, but I, <laughs> but I turned 48 this year and I've been in the, this industry. I've been working here at Saws for 20 years. And so I, I, I realized the fact that this is my role now. Um, I'm not looking for somebody to uh, necessarily have to mentor me all the time any longer. Although I will tell you, I, I, I have a gentleman that's 20 years older than me that we still get together and he still does pour into me. Um, it's, it never stops, but there's there does come a point where you have to realize, okay, it's my turn now. It's my turn um, to share this knowledge with other people. And I, and I, I again, I, I love what you just said, um, Stephanie, because it's true. Mentorship is not a title that you get. Um, it's something that's bestowed upon you. When somebody calls you a mentor, that's when they become, that's when you become their mentor, not because you call yourself that. So just be available, be intentional, and then, uh, and then see where it goes from there. And uh, it, it can be a really powerful thing. Um, so there's so many, wow, so many questions that I, that I, or that I could ask. I want to be mindful of your time. I know you have a meeting shortly, so we only have a, a few more questions and I know we won't be able to dig into this next question as much as I would like, but I think one of the things that makes, I say saws, but you are my, what I know of saws. I don't know about the entire organization, but from an education perspective, um, you guys just seem to be able to get things done and to get things done right. So me and Ariane have several stories of where we've come with ideas and then like Greg and Lynn and his whole team are just able to just take it to this whole next level. But really because they really start with why and with a plan and, and what they're doing. Um, but one of the things and this is kind of going back to the insight and the strategic planning and how we stopped everything for a period of time to be able to go through that process and to do it. 
you know, I, I feel like people so often you talk to the work, 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 work. Mm-hmm. I feel like we get so caught up in the day to day and in the tasks that we don't allow ourselves to take the time to really stop and ask why or to really like we don't. I think recognize the value of having that framework and that plan in place. Mm -hmm. I was actually just in Michigan at the uh, Kellogg Biological Research Center for this collaborative writing workshop with the Public Philosophy Journal. And I was there for two days. And really the whole point of this two days, there was like there was basically no structure. There was well, not no structure, but there was something in the morning, something in the afternoon before we wrapped up. But the the rest of that time in the day was for each of these teams to take the time and to really work on defining the why and the framework of this paper that we're going to be working on together as a team for this journal. And it was just it was amazing to be able to have given ourselves that time to let our brains kind of do what they do and to have that those conversations and to make our head make our heads hurt and then get up and take a walk and come back and see what that walk did for our ideas. Like, can you speak a little to just the value of kind of recognizing the value of that time and taking the time to do those kinds of things? Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> we spend most of our time uh, at work, right? I mean, we spend more time here than most of the time we spend with our family. And so um, if we are constantly just going, 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 and we're never stopping to think about actually what we're doing, and many of us do that. I mean, again, I would imagine some of your listeners right now are listening to this going, yeah, it's the story of my life, um, project after project after project, and you're not quite sure why you're actually doing them all. Um, there's a personal disengagement then that begins to happen from your work. And you that's when you start getting up in the morning and you don't actually want to go to work any longer because you're not quite sure why you're doing it. And so I think... I, I believe it's actually vital to, to make sure that you stop on a regular occurrence with the work that you're doing to ask yourself that question, why, both professionally and personally. Is this fulfilling the mission, my personal mission? And that, that would assume that you actually have a personal mission, right? So, um, you know, I've, I've got my own personal mission and my own personal values that I live through. And so if, if my work is, is connected to that, then it's something I want to get up every morning and, and go do. Um, but with your team, it's the same thing. They've got to feel like there's a purpose greater than themselves. And if it's just going through the motions and checking off boxes every day and answering emails or whatever, well, then the work is not necessarily work that matters. And so um, the burnout will begin to occur or people will begin to leave. And so it's, in, it's important as a leader. And let me just also say that I think leadership is is not something that you tell people that you are. It's something that's earned. When people tell you that they're that you are their leader, then you're their leader. It's incumbent then upon leaders to begin to look at your team's health and say it's time for a timeout. Let's stop. Let's think about what we're doing, why we're doing it, and not be afraid to respectfully retire things that need need to be done at that mo- that that moment. Um, it's not personal. It just is for the for the sake and the health and the well being of the organization, the city, and. and and everybody involved. So yeah, I, I do believe we have to stop at a regular basis and reorient ourselves to our purpose, our mission, our values, those kinds of things to make sure we're doing what we're supposed to be doing. Um, and I, <laughs> many people that I run into, they're going a hundred million miles an hour because they love the, they're passionate about what they do. Uh, and they want to do everything. They, they just destroy themselves in the end. And you, you can't, you just can't work that way. It's just like a vehicle. I mean, you can only go so many miles and so long without a, a tune-up. So, um, ooh, you want to do the elevator pitch? You you give them that question. Okay. Um, so this is, um, we're getting favorite. to our, our it, I would call it a lightning round, but it goes too slow to be a lightning round. Um, so it's just like our last round. I don't know. Um, but this is, uh, let's say you're in an elevator mm-hmm. with just your everyday San Antonio a resident who knows nothing about water, you get into an elevator. What is your elevator pitch for water, the value of water? (laughs) Boy, I'm a talker. It's hard for me to just do a quick pitch. Wait, let's go back Um, down and come back up. Yeah, yeah, exactly. 
You know, it's funny. Most of my conversations when I start off with friends or people in San Antonio, um, you know, they, they ask me, what do you do? Or those kinds of things. I immediately tell them I'm a water nerd. That's where I start. And that brings the whole idea of water into it and the fact that I'm you know, passionate about something. And they're like a water nerd. And I go, yeah, I work for the San Antonio Water System. Uh, and then they go, oh, OK. And then, you know, there's usually one of two reactions, right? It's <laughs> it's wow, that's great. Or, oh, yeah, you just raised my my bill last month. Um, but but usually after I say I'm a water nerd, then I'll then I'll actually say to them, um, yeah, I, myself and my team are doing work that matters for our community. And I really focus on the idea, again, tying together that water is vital for our community. And that's why I do the work that I do. And I can and I can do that in a pretty quick time frame. I mean, in an elevator, I can talk about the fact that, you know, that um, I, I serve the people of this community by providing them water and wastewater services. Um, and if they want to take it further, then I'd be more than happy happy to have a further conversation with them. Right. And then there goes that whole whisper thing. You begin to whisper things into them during that conversation that they may walk away and go, huh, hadn't ever thought about that before. Um, we have this kind of mantra around here that when we're done with our customers, not done with them, but when we've engaged with our customers, <laughs> we want them to walk away and say, wow, I had no idea. Mm-hmm. Most of them don't, and we want them to walk away and go, I have a whole new found respect for the San Antonio water system. That's my role here within the organization. Okay, so you have a, this is a dumb question, do you have a recommended <laughs> book? Um, I'm looking literally at a whole library of books. I'm going to say, explain um, why that's I dumb. don't... <laughs> I don't know where how he even picks one book because there's literally, you know, one thousand books. Um, but what's your one book that someone could pick up right now and start start reading? Um, yeah. Uh, again, I'm gonna I'm gonna recommend something, and somebody may run out and buy it, and you get into it, and you go, "Oh my goodness, he actually recommended this one." But <laughs> It's actually called The Advantage. It's by Patrick Lencioni, and it's probably been one of the most impactful books I've ever read. Um, the, the title here is Why Organizational Health Trumps Everything Else in Business. And the reason that it was so powerful for me, because it starts off with this idea of starting with your values, your core values, and working from there. And when I read this book, um, and then we put together our, our framework uh, for our team, it just was a really powerful uh, and it, very pragmatic. It's not like fluff. It's not, you know, it's not, you're not going to come away kind of like majorly inspired by all these wonderful quotes. It's incredibly pragmatic, but it's... Um, uh, but 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 it gives you some concrete things that you can literally do uh, within this industry and within leading a, a group of people. Awesome. So um, in Greg's world, what's something that you do every day that drives your productivity? Um, well, I actually start my morning. Um, believe it or not, I'm not making this up. I start with a big 32 ounce cup of water uh, and and lemon. Um, do you have to go to the bathroom? Uh, like, yeah, no. <laughs> so I, I should reframe that, right? I, I, I actually I actually drink it through the morning, okay. so <laughs> I, don't, I don't chug that first thing. Uh, okay, but he I really likes water. Yeah, I, I do start start with that every morning. Um, I also read the online local newspaper every single morning um, to make sure I I know what what's going on in our community and be, be in, in uh, constant communication with that. I actually then read the online business journal because I want to know what's going on business wise in our community and, and, and understand how we you know relate to that. And then kind of after I go through that exercise, usually about 30 minutes in the morning, um, then I start in on, um, you know, the work that I have to do, the whirlwind answering emails and, and those kinds of things, unless I have a meeting to go to or something of that nature. But I've gotten into a habit of pretty much doing that every single morning. It allows me to come in, look forward to what the, the local news, the local business news looks like. What is our role? What is our part with that? And then move into the day. Um, and if I have a morning that I don't get to do some of that, it <laughs> honestly throws me off a little bit. Um, but it's, it's, a, it's a good way to start my day and, and prepare my mind and, and creativity to, to do the work that I need to do. The work that matters. Ooh. Um, okay. They're down to two questions. <laughs> You've already given us a quote, but what's your favorite quote that gets you the most fired up? You, Greg, what fires you up the most? <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, 
Yeah. So this one just came to mind. So as y'all know, you're sitting in my office right now with a big picture of Walt Disney on my my wall. I'm a huge um, Disney parks nerd as well. Um, but Disney had a quote one time that was, if you can dream it, you can do it. And I heard that first when I was a, a kid. Um, and that just really rattled me um, because watching this man do all the things that he did in life, um, I, I believed it. I read his his uh, his story and it really resonated with me. So even to this day, um, in fact, I'm doing a program tonight and we have some quotes to inspire the teachers. And the last quote we actually have is, uh, if you can dream it, you can do it by Walt Disney. So that's my that's my kind of go to quote all the time. Awesome. Um, so this is our last official question for you. Um, we, we ask all of our guests this question, but in me and Arianne's experience, we've seen that something as simple as water can be a catalyst for change and bring people together um, in real life, hence water in real life. Um, but a lot of times people don't change because they feel like, well, I'm just one person. What difference does it make? My one change is not going to make a great impact, but we disagree 100% and believe that change is contagious mm -hmm. and um, that if someone sees you doing something, it may inspire them to either make that change or a different change towards something positive. So what's a call to action that you're most passionate or um, that one simple change you believe one person can make that can ultimately change the world? Yeah, um, I think I've kind of said it already today and it's going to sound kind of cliche, but you can't wait for other people. Um, you, you just can't, you, if you see a problem in the world that needs, needs somebody, um, to fix or somebody to engage in, I just believe that it's, it's, it's sort of your, um, responsibility to engage in it, find out more about it or start an organization, you know, you know, quit your job and, uh, <laughs> you know, start a company or whatever. Oh, uh, yeah, that thing. So I, you know, I, th I think that it is incumbent upon us again to, to, uh, to engage in the issues that we see and, and that, and, and stop waiting for somebody else to do it. Um, I don't know who that somebody else is. We always talk about they, they need to do it. They need to do it. They need to get engaged. Who, who is the they? And that's the question I ask myself all the time. Who's the they, right? Um, <laughs> it's me. It, I'm the one who's supposed to, you know, engage in that. Um, and there's a, there's a personal kind of mantra that I live by that I, I heard one time from a pastor and it's your holy discontent. What is your holy discontent? What is the thing you get out of bed in the morning and you say, this just cannot be. And it, and, and when eventually it gets to the point where, um, the fear of you not acting overcomes the fear of actually the thing that you're about to do, you'll act right when when you are so afraid of like if i don't do something about this that's going to be worse than the thing that i'm about to have to do then you'll start to act and um and so that's the practical thing i would i would just say is um if anybody's sitting there right now thinking to themselves there's something i need to be involved with something i need to do to change the world you know or whatever then engage in it stop talking about it stop thinking about it um just do it I'm going to translate that into the millennial lifestyle. It's one word, just FOMO, the fear of missing out. Um, for all you older folk who don't know what FOMO mean. That's a new one to me. It's a new one, huh? <laughs> wow, you just FOMO. Um, well, Greg, thank you so much for taking yes. the time to speak with us today. Um, you're always our, like, fresh breath of fresh air and also headache at the end of the two-day <laughs> binge, um, brainstorm binge, you'll definitely want to follow him on social media. You can do that on Twitter um, at Greg at Greg underscore WooCash. <laughs> I'll say that again. At Greg underscore WooCash. And WooCash is W-U-K-A-S-C-H. And it's pronounced WooCash. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Greg, like I said, will be speaking at Catalyst, our Mastermind Summit in San Antonio, June 20th through the 22nd. Uh, Rogue Water has partnered with Saws, T-A-W-W-A, and Wheat to put on this incredible, or to bring together this incredible collection of professionals 
who are going to lend us their time, talent, and passion to water educators and communicators across the state. Um, these are the people that we believe are going to be a part of taking the water industry to the next level. So if you want to take a part or if you want to take part in Catalyst, if you want to check it out, the agenda, the speakers, you can go to roguewatergroup.com backslash Catalyst. Um, we're kicking off our Water and Real Life podcast series with interviews from all of our Catalyst thought leaders. And as I said before, Greg is speaking at multiple sessions, um, including strategy and assessment. He's also kicking off the entire program with, of course, but why? Um, and as I said, he's going to be joined by George Hawkins during the strategy session, who will be episode nine in the podcast so we appreciate uh, Greg again. Thank you for the opportunity to do this. This is like we could, we've never had this experience together. So um, thank you so much for for being here. Yeah, thank you so much. This is um, really, really, really exciting stuff, and to be able to kind of do it right here in the office and just to um, hang out with you guys the last couple of days has, has been a been a joy. So thank you for uh, thinking about me and including me in on this incredibly. Um, ambitious, uh, amazing and life changing and, and industry changing, uh, thing that you're doing. Cause, um, as I've told you before, I think you too, you don't give yourself enough credit. You are part of the, the change agents of this industry as well. So thank you for all that you're doing. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Making us tear up. <laughs> Thank you for joining us for episode three with Greg Wu Cash. Check out our show notes at the h2duo.com podcast page. If you enjoyed the episode, please let us know by subscribing to the podcast on iTunes. It would also mean the world to us if you rated and reviewed us on iTunes as well. Be sure to give us a shout on Twitter at the h2duo, the underscore h2duo. We'd love to hear you um, give us some feedback. And shout out to our podcast producer, Ryan Beltran, founder of Alequa and the Make Water Project. He's a water rock star, y'all, and you should definitely check out makewater.org and follow him on Instagram at makewater underscore. We hope you learned something new, got a little inspired, and most importantly, took action on something today that will move you one step closer to your goal. Until next time, remember what one of our favorite quotes says, those who tell the stories rule the world.